Today's scripture readings are found in 2 Samuel, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 and verse 15, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, and chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Take a moment to turn to the first text in your Bible to follow along. I will announce chapter and verse as we go. The reading will also be on the screen behind me. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metheg Amar, one out of the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. Verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel. And David administered justice and equity to all his people. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show your kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. And the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think, because David has sent comforters to you, that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Vivian. All right, you can be seated. 
If you're new, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and so we've made our way through 1 Samuel, and this summer we're going to keep going through 2 Samuel, and uh, today we come to uh, one of my favorite stories, and I know I've said that probably 17 or 18 times over the last 50 weeks of teaching through this text, but one of my favorite stories, because I believe at the heart of it, it articulates the gospel um, clearer or as clear as any passage in all of the scriptures uh, that we'll see here in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9, but uh, there is a chapter preceding that, chapter 8. And what I want to talk about here in 2 Samuel chapter 8 um, could be that when you come to a chapter like this in your Bible, it just says at the top, David's victories, right? And then it lists a bunch of kingdoms and kings and things like that that he's defeated. And it kind, kind of like the way you treat a genealogy in your Bible, right? You come to Matthew 1, you're like, yeah, the genealogy of Jesus, a bunch of names. What do you do, honestly? Yeah, you flip the page, don't you, right? But the Lord has so much in those genealogies, and we've actually preached through a couple of them here at, at the parks, and so you're like, oh, yes, Kyle's going to preach through chapter 8. Well, no, not entirely. Um, go read it. But what I want to pull out is something that David does in the middle of all his victories, and it's in uh, verse 4. It's in verse 4, and it, it's going through all of David's victories, essentially showing how the Lord has been with him, and there's a repeated phrase in chapter 8, and the repeated phrase is this, and the Lord gave victory wherever David went. Must be nice, right? <laughs> wherever David went, the Lord gave victory. And so David was going to attest that it was the Lord who was doing the victory, and you say, how is David going to do that? Well, here's a very practical way in verse 4. Look at this very strange uh, text. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred chariots. I even heard like when, when Vivian read that, somebody was like, ow, right? Like, ah, why would David do that? So David has all of this plunder. He has all of these victories, all this success over these other nations and other kingdoms. And so when a, when a king would overtake another kingdom, he would also inquire all of his stuff, okay? So in this particular instance, there are a lot of horses or stallions, right? And you have to understand in this context, those were associated with power, right? If you could have all of the horses and all of the chariots, guess who was the one with the power? You were. But David wants to clearly communicate to Israel, his people, his soldiers, and also, let me tell you, to the other nations that his power doesn't rest in horses and chariots. That his power, his victory is coming because the Lord is with them. That their victory is coming through the Lord alone. And so here's what David does. He hamstrings the horses. Essentially, it's doing this, making them ineffective to do their job as carrying chariots into battle. David is going, this is an act of faith. This is an act of me giving testimony to the Lord's victory and the Lord's power and the Lord's grace. And so he hamstrings these horses to make no mistake where his security is, to make no mistake of where Israel's wealth is found, right? It's not in the plunder of other nations. It's not in these chariots. It's not in these horses. This reminds me of the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah 31. This is a warning actually to Israel that just is vivid in this picture here in chapter 8. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. You know this verse? You remember this? Who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Inquire. 
Be careful to you who mount up the armies, who mount up your security and thinking that your security is found in chariots and horses and soldiers and you believe that's where the victory is gonna lie, not in consulting the one who actually holds the victory. I mean, you probably at this point can draw your own practical implication of that, right? That you and I, we don't have horses and chariots as our security and our wealth or our power. We have other things, don't we? And David here hamstrings those. Essentially says, I'm going to take them away from the equation so that God can show up and be who he says he is. And so listen also, that I'm not tempted to trust in those things. This is just chapter 8. It's not my favorite story. We're not there yet. And so David, he goes in and he has these victories and the Lord moves. And now as we get ready to go into chapter 9, it's like David is thinking, God, you have been so good to us. God, your love, your power, your kindness, all of these things has been so good to us. How can I display, who can I display your kindness to? Lord, you've proven yourself over and over again. God, that you alone by faith have moved. David, it's like David's mind begins to wonder, who can I show kindness to? In verse 1 of chapter 9, it strikes David. And he asks this question. He says, is there still anyone left of Saul's house? Is there anyone left in Saul's line? Is there anyone else for Jonathan's sake, that I can show kindness to. And that word kindness in your Bible, you need to under, underline. That's a Hebrew word, hesed. H-E-S-E-D. Hesed, right? You got to get it from the throat, okay? Don't say hesed, okay? Hesed. I'm just kidding. You say however you want. <laughs> the word kindness here translated hesed. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning trying to allow the Holy Spirit through the word of God to unpack the word hesed. David has been struck since chapter 7 where God made a promise to David, I'm going to build you a house, a line that will go on forever. We see in chapter 8 these victories that come at the hand of the Lord. And now David is going, is there anyone I can show this kind of kindness that I've received? Is there anyone left in Jonathan, anyone else in Saul's household that I should show this kind of, of love to? You see over First and Second Samuel, we've really, I've highlighted a couple Hebrew words. One was chazak, right? That, that idea of endurance. The other is kavod, God's glory, right? This idea of weight. But this is the third word I want you to remember and keep logged in your mind as we continue to go through 2 Samuel. Hesed is this idea, and really in your Bible, in different translations, and some of you have different translations here, where that word, even in 2 Samuel, is translated mercy, or goodness, or faithfulness, or loyalty. But the reality is there is no single English word that can quite grasp the idea of hesed. Other places in your Bible, it'll look like two words paired together, two English words. Steadfast love, or loyal love, or how about this one, loving kindness. The most often one used in the Psalms that David writes and other psalmists write is this idea of steadfast love. You know Psalm 136? 
that says over 26 verses that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever? Read that this week. That's Hesed. That's God's steadfast love. And I love what one, one author, Chad Bird, in Unveiling Mercy, his book, he says this. He says, attempting to squeeze, squeeze a huge word like hesed into one tiny English word is like trying to catch a waterfall in a cup. I, I, listen, I even felt like that during worship this morning, right? It's like we're trying, we're, we're trying to do all this. Just like, it's just this waterfall that God wants of his presence. And I'm here with a thimble trying to catch it, right? And the Lord's like, no, no, don't try to catch it. Just enjoy my presence. And so even with hesed, even with the word hesed, listen, I think the Lord wants to go, listen, I want to expand the horizon of your mind and your heart in such a way that you actually understand me for who I am. And that's this, that you can't fathom the depths of it. And so I love, it's like trying to catch a waterfall in a cup. And I'll tell you, as a communicator, as a, as a teacher, one of the hardest things for me to teach on is God's love. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons is this, is that I always feel inadequate when I finish. I'm like, God, I, I'm thankful your spirit is the one who enlivens these words because I sure failed with words. That's how massive of a word when David said, is there a kindness I can show? Let's not be mistaken what David is talking about. He's talking about this God kindness, God love, God loyalty, God mercy. And so I, I didn't finish my quote. I got going. He says this. He says, the kind of love, this is Hesed, the kind of love that chases us to the ends of the earth, picks us up, places us up top his divine shoulders, and dances all the way home. There really is only one word that encompasses the totality of what Hesed is, Christ himself. He is the Hesed of the Father made flesh. And so while the definition of Hesed might be hard to nail down, there might not be one English word or two or three or a thousand that could encompass Hesed. The scriptures and the author of 2 Samuel doesn't give us a definition, if you notice, of Hesed. What does it give us? A story of Hesed. A story. And I think that the author understands, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that that's how we'll actually learn what Hesed is. It's through a story. Not through going, this is what it is. Here's the definition. Here's the terms. Here's the branches of the word. No, no, no. He'll go, let me show you what it looks like. Let me, let me if you want to grasp Hesed, I'm going to show you how it's actually expressed. And this makes a lot of sense too, right? Think about Jesus, the best teacher that ever lived. How did he teach? Story in parable. Let me tell you how this plays itself out. And so in, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to see Hesed played out. One of my favorite stories in all of these books. And so let's dig into the story and see if we can begin to wrap our minds and our hearts and our lives around God's Hesed. So David asks, is there anyone who I can show this kindness to? And someone comes to David, look at it in verse 2, and they say, actually, there is. There is someone, David, that you can show this, this love to. And the king said, um, look at it here in verse 2. There is a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Now, there is a son of Jonathan. Notice, at this point, he doesn't say his name. There's a son of Jonathan. 
So it qualifies David from the line of Saul. Okay, this makes sense. He's crippled in his feet. Okay, so let's get a little context just in case you, you missed when I preached about um, Jonathan and, and, and David's relationship, which I preached on February 23rd. So that was a long time ago, right? Jonathan and David had made this covenant together. They were best friends, but it was deeper than that. And David said to this, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And, David, and, and Jonathan excuse me, says this, do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan says to David, listen, I know that you are going to be the king. I know you're the one that the line is going to run through. David, remember me, remember my household and don't cut off my household. And David says, I won't. And you remember this beautiful scene here where Jonathan gives him his armor, he gives him his sword, he gives him his shield as this act of going, listen, you're the one God has called. You're the one that God is leading. And David makes this promise with Jonathan. Now David is remembering that promise and someone comes and goes, actually, there's, there's a son. There's a son of, of, of Jonathan, but he's, he's, he's crippled. Well, this isn't the first time that we see Mephibosheth come in 2 Samuel, is it? It's like the author is giving us a little bit of breadcrumbs in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. You actually see when Saul is dying, right, you see this scramble, and it says that one of the, the nurses or the, the help or the servants of Saul's household is carrying Mephibosheth, running for their lives, and what happens? They trip or they drop Mephibosheth, and it says at age 5, Mephibosheth becomes crippled in his legs because of that, because of them trying to flee. But it doesn't say any more after that until here. It's like these little breadcrumbs that the author is giving us to go, hey, that's going to come back. Pay attention here. It's going to come back. And so uh, we have Mephibosheth brought up there. But I always wondered here, why does this servant tell David, why doesn't he just stop it? Hey, yeah, there is one more. It's Jonathan's son. Like that should be qualifier enough to, for David to go, that's who I'm going to show the kindness. To. That's who I want to display this kindness to. I had no idea. But he adds another qualify. He gives another description of him, doesn't he? He says he's crippled. Why? Well, again, 2 Samuel chapter 5. Do you remember when David is taking Jerusalem? And the Ammonites have Jerusalem. And the Ammonites, what do they do? They mock David with the lame and the blind, it says in your text. And David, I don't know if it's in anger. It's with the wrong heart for sure looks, and he says, and some of you said, hey, Kyle, I noticed you skipped that verse when you taught through 2 Samuel 5. I'm not skipping it. You were just impatient, okay? I'm getting to it now, all right? He says, the lame and the blind will not be in my kingdom. Woo! Right? Now I see why you guys would call me out on skipping that, right? But you have to see that the author was putting that in there, again, as breadcrumbs to get us to this place where David's servant will look at him and go, hey, there is a son of Jonathan, but you need to know, he's lame, he's crippled. And David, I recall what you said about that, them not being part of your kingdom. So now the question is, David, what are you gonna do? Are you still gonna show the loving kindness of God to those you said would never be in your kingdom? What is David gonna do? What we're going to see is that the Lord has changed David's heart. And not just changed it, he has altered it entirely. Not just to go, okay, I'm going to bless him at a distance. 
But Mephibosheth, I'm going to bring you close. And not just into my kingdom, but I'm going to bring you to my table. The lame and the blind. Okay, now let's, let's keep going in the story before we get too far. Mephibosheth, it says, is in a certain area. That area is known as Lodabar. Lodabar. Debar, that word is typically translated name. So he's in a city that's name is name, but when you add lo, the, the prefix lo, it means no. So imagine this, Mephibosheth, who is crippled, who is most likely in hiding. He is in a place, in an area, in a territory in Israel, around Israel, that is called no name. Or another translation is no shepherd, no leader. In other words, this place, as you can imagine, would be full of people who are wanting to hide out, wanting to get away, wanting to not be known, wanting not to be found finding themselves on the outskirts, probably very chaotic place. And this is where Mephibosheth is as a crippled man in a place with no name, a place marked by its most likely darkness. And it's with that backdrop that David's kindness and compassion and loyalty begin. This hesed begins to shine through. You see, when David asks about finding Saul's line. What context would tell us or help us understand is that most kings would search for prior king's lines to do what to them? Right? Cut it off at the pass <laughs> so that that line would be no more. It would be severed so nobody would rise up against him and go, hey, listen, I'm the rightful heir to this. I'm the one next in line. I'm, I'm Saul's lineage. I'm Jonathan's lineage. And so that's what most people have in their minds when a king calls for another person. Mephibosheth would have been no different. Hiding out, thinking, thinking, okay, if I ever get called to David, I know it's probably for one reason for him to take my life. And so just imagine the scene. These servants come from David and they understand why they're going, right? David has said, I want to show my kindness to this guy. They show up and they arrive at Lodabar and you can imagine like, hey, Mephibosheth, where are you at? And he's like, I'm not here. I don't know him, right? But he's easy to identify. Why? Because he's crippled, right? He's from the line of Jonathan. He's easy to identify. So they come and they scoop him up and they're like, you're going to go see David. And he's like, what? No, 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 it's, it can't be, my, I, don't, I don't want to go there. And they're like, no, trust us. Like, he wants to be kind of, he's like, yeah, trust us, whatever, you know? Like, never trust anybody that says trust me, right? Like, trust us, like, we want to take you there. And so you imagine, he, he doesn't have a, a lot of ability to fight back. And so they bring him before David, King David. Look at your text. And it says that Mephibosheth, verse 6 the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. This is Mephibosheth's position or posture before King David. And here's what I want you to notice immediately following that. What is the first word out of David's mouth? Look at it. Mephibosheth. You say, Kyle, that's his name. Exactly. The first thing out of David's mouth is not son of Jonathan. It's not grandson of Saul. It's his name. It's like David in this moment is giving Mephibosheth dignity. 
He's going, you have a name. Maybe for all those years that you were in Lodabar, however long that was, it was years, guys, where you were in a place that was known as no name. Let me tell you, you're in the palace of the king before the king who you think is going to execute you because of the line you come from. And here's what I want you to know. You have a name, Mephibosheth. You have dignity. You maybe see your handicap. You maybe see that you're crippled. But what I want you to know that in this king's household, you have a name, Mephibosheth. I can't imagine what his ears must have heard when he heard his name roll off of the king's lips. And then the king says this, as if Mephibosheth didn't know what might follow. He says, don't be afraid. What a relief. Can you imagine that release from Mephibosheth in that moment? He says, do not fear. This is verse seven. For I will show you kindness, hesed for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table when? Always. Forever. And so imagine this, this crippled Mephibosheth there who was once fearing his life. The king has just called him by name. The king has just said, do not be afraid. And here I have even better news for you. I'm not just going to give you a future. I'm also going to restore what was. This is why I think this is such a clear picture of the gospel. Here, Mephibosheth is brought before the king. The, he, he's, 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 he, he brings nothing of his own. He has none of his own power back to power, right? Like the horses and the chariots. He has nothing of his own. And the king goes, I'm going to give you everything that was and everything that is. All that's mine is yours. You will always have a place. Not just in my kingdom, but at my table. You see, this is life-changing mercy and kindness to Mephibosheth. You want to know what Mephibosheth feels about himself? Verse 8. He says, and he paid homage again and says, what is your servant, right? Servant. David just goes, no, you're at my table. And he goes, that you should show, show regard for a dead dog such as I. You want to know how Mephibosheth viewed himself? There it is. I'm nothing better than a dead dog. Who am I for you to show mercy and kindness and love and grace and, and, and loyalty at that level to me? You see, not only is this life-changing mercy and kindness for Mephibosheth, this is life-changing to David as well. You see, David in this moment is opening himself up to be vulnerable for not only his line, but his kingdom, being willing to set aside his own image. And I think that's what was driving 2 Samuel chapter 5 with the comment that flew out of his mouth about the lame and blind not being in his kingdom. David was going, our kingdom's going to have an image, and it's going to be strong and powerful and beautiful until his heart is changed by the Lord. To say this, no, this is the image of the kingdom. This is the image of the kingdom of God and my kingdom, David is saying, is going to mirror the heart of God. He's setting aside his own agendas to welcome Mephibosheth to his table. And so David welcomes Mephibosheth to sit down and have a meal with him every day. <laughs> Why is it that love, biblically speaking, is so often expressed 
over a meal and food. Have you noticed that? We even taught a series here around that idea. That so many times in the scriptures, love expressed looks like us pulling out a chair at our table. At those intimate moments, I think about where the Bible talks about show hospitality. That hospitality is this ethic in the Christian life. That this idea of sharing a meal, that there's something that connects us deeply to that point. To our hearts. To one another. And so hear me, it's not enough for us just to offer kindness at a distance. That's not hesed. Hesed, the loving kindness of God expressed in us, must be expressed by us sitting with people at a table continually. It wasn't hesed. It wasn't a reflection of God's hesed for David to go, Mephibosheth, I'm gonna restore all that you have. Go tell him in Lodabar, right, would you? Would you show him that kindness? No, David said, bring him near. Bring him so near that I want him at my table. And the chapter nine says, how often at his table? Always, always, always. Three times it says always. Listen, church, we can talk about Christian love and justice and compassion and mercy and love for your neighbor all you want, all we want. But if your faith, if my faith doesn't put you at a table or in relationship with someone or people who don't press your prejudice, your comfort, your definitions, I'm not sure you're participating in Christian community or mission or love the way the scriptures would tell us. One commentator, he says this, he said, Hesed implies loving our neighbor, not merely in terms of warm emotional feelings, but in acts of love and service that we owe to the other person. Get this, simply because he or she is part of the covenant community. It's Hesed. There's nothing consumeristic about this moment for David. He's rooting his love toward Mephibosheth entirely in the love of God expressed toward David. David is able to make this commitment and bring him near because he himself has been changed and experienced hesed from God himself. And then chapter 10. Chapter 10, David's like, this hesed thing is really beautiful, right? And so he, he now goes not, to, not in, in Israel, not into the line of Jonathan or Saul. He now goes to his enemies, right? The nations around him. And he goes, I want to extend my loyalty, my kindness, right? To you. This is chapter 10. And so David sends some of his messengers to the kings to say, David wants to show his kindness to you. He wants to show his, his, his love toward you based upon how Nahash was loyal to him all of those years. Here's what David wants to do. And those kings go, mm, and they get some bad advice. If you notice in the text, they get some bad advice to go, don't trust this. Don't trust this guy. Listen, this is probably just a back way door of him trying to defeat us and get our nation right and, and, and to, to go to war with our nation. And so they tell the kings and kings like, listen, we're not gonna do this. And so what happens is they, they literally strip down these messengers, shave their beards, embarrass them and send them back and go tell your king that's what we think about his offer of kindness. Woo. Go back and tell David that's what we believe about your hesed from your God. And then Joab, I mean, can we, can we just pause there for a moment? Have you, 
with an honest and genuine heart, you've tried to love someone. You've tried to be kind to them. Maybe you've invited them to the table, if you will. And have you ever had that thrown back in your face? Have you ever had that just thrown back at you? You see, I think if we just, if we just stopped at chapter nine, we could be like, man, this, this has to think like that. That really seems to make life much more simple. But then we roll up on chapter 10, and what do we find? That Hesed isn't about making life more simple. Hesed is about being faithful unto God. And sometimes being faithful and demonstrating God's loving kindness toward you actually makes things more complicated. That's chapter 10. And so David understands what has just taken place. Joab, who is the leader of David's armies, goes out. But here's what happens is they're surrounded They're surrounded, and by all appearances, it looks like Israel is about to be defeated. In Joab, in verse 12 of chapter 10, he says this, and and I want to submit to you that I believe this is the prayer of Hesed. He sees that they're surrounded, that David's kindness, his loyalty, his generosity, his love expressed has gotten them in this place. And if you imagine the soldiers are like, David, why were you kind, and why didn't we just wall up these guys, right? He says this, be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And here it is. And may the Lord do what seems good to who? To him. May the Lord do what seems good to him. We know what the Lord has asked of us, right? Fast forward to the gospels. We know what Jesus said when they asked him, they say, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing about the law? And what did Jesus say? Listen, here it is. Love God with all that you are. And the second is equally like it, right? It hinges on it, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know what it all boils down to? There it is. Hesed. God's love toward you demonstrated and expressed in Jesus Christ. And then once you receive that, your love, that has it expressed to those around you. And so many of us, listen, I'm in that camp too, where I will get debilitated trying to understand and figure out the outcome of Hesed expressed. Listen, the outcome is up to the Lord. Listen, what is responsible to you is to express the love that you have received in Christ Jesus. The generous compassion, kindness, mercy, may it flow from you. And whether it's received or rejected, the prayer of Joab here, God, do what seems good to you. God, do what seems right to you. And that's really a prayer of faith, right? Going, God, you are good and do good, even if the outcome looks different than what I thought. Kindness received. Mephibosheth. Kindness rejected. These nations. So we're going to take communion here. Um, And this is still part of the teaching as we say every week. And so if you don't have the elements of communion, uh, you can lift up your hands. Our hosts will help you uh, get those. You, you lift up a hand. We have some here. So Kayla, over here. Um, they'll help us. They can go down, up and down the row, so just keep your hand lifted. Um, 
in talking about communion, we often use this picture of what? We come to the table of communion, right? That's very purposeful. That's rooted in the scriptures. That's rooted in the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples around a table where he institutes this, this act of worship, this act of remembrance. And this morning, it's just so unique and on the forefront of our minds that that table of communion is one that the Lord brought us to. Right? He sought you. He sought you when you were in Lodabar and could not walk to Jerusalem, right? Like there was no way you were there. Ephesians 2 says this, that you were brought near through Christ Jesus. Another language to make it even more clear with Mephibosheth is this, that you were carried to the table. That it wasn't your energy, it wasn't your effort, it wasn't your good works that got you there. It was that the Lord sovereignly brought you and placed you at his table. For some of you, you go, that's, I don't belong there. I don't, that's not a table I belong. Kyle, and let me tell you why. It's not about my good works. It's on the other side of that. Let me tell you what I did last night, this week, five years ago, a decade ago, that is still enslaving you and going, I could never eat with the king could never feast with him. And this morning, in the picture in the heart of 2 Samuel 9, is that we have a king who came down to us. You see, the issue with sin, the issue with sin is not that sin caused a behavior problem. That's just a symptom of sin. The real problem with sin is this, that it created a distance problem. It says, the Bible says that it separated you and me from God, this holy, holy God. And the only way to solve that distance problem is for God to make up that distance. And he did by sending his son, the king, to close that gap, to pull out the chair at his table and to say, you don't earn your way here. You're carried here by my grace and by my mercy. And the response of us to that hesed, Jesus' hesed toward us, is to receive it by faith. That we're there at that table by grace alone, no other way. Some of you, you're not on that side of the table. Some of you have been working really hard to try to get your seat there. Some of you think that you deserve a seat at the king's table. And the Lord this morning wants to humble you by his grace. To go, you can't earn this. You're not good enough to sit here. We all, like Mephibosheth, are broken and crippled, unable to do it ourselves unless we're carried. And let me tell you here in McKinney, Texas, it's really hard to tell people they can't. You can't do it. You don't have enough energy. You don't have enough health. You don't have enough money. You don't have anything that can get you to that table. And so we're going to sit in that just for a moment. And uh, there's a group, uh, a band called Leland, and they wrote a song. It's like 12 years old, y'all, um, called Carried to the Table. And while we think about this, I'm just going to have Keith play that just for a few moments. And I pray that these words might strike you as we spend time before the Holy Spirit. So let's pray.
You all stand with me. You've been seated at the table. And so we come to the table of communion this morning. And Jesus, as he did to his disciples, he's reminding us this morning that I want you to never forget how and why you're seated here. How you're seated here is my broken body, as he explained to his disciples. So let's take the broken body of Jesus. He says that the new covenant, all the old, the law, the prophets, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the promise to David, Jesus says, is all fulfilled in me. You're not looking for an earthly king. You're looking for an eternal king. And Jesus says, that's me. 
And so we take this cup. In church, the only fitting response after communion and coming to the table is what? Worship. Let's worship right now our Father in prayer. Father, we love you. God, I pray that this... God, this experience with your Holy Spirit today through your word would leave us marked and changed for your glory. God, that Hesed would have its full effect on our lives, that your demonstrated love to us in Christ Jesus would compel us into the watching world for your glory. So may we live in Christ Jesus by faith this week for your glory, whatever that looks like. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.